friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. For reminder, some of the things that we have studied so far uh, over the last, uh, really since January, we came and Thomas has been teaching. Uh, He's been, we we talked about uh, Jesus' presence, being with Jesus, abiding. Uh, It's the the verses about um, that I am the true vine, abide in me. We'll talk more about that. Uh, the prayers of Jesus, and we went through the Lord's Prayer and talked about that together. Um, what we called the pace of Jesus, which was uh, an idea of thinking through rest and Sabbath and what that looks like. Uh, and then we talked about the people of Jesus, uh, what biblical community is and, and why it's important and how we can find that. And then uh, last week, we talked briefly about the cross of Jesus uh, and what that means in a sense of uh, being self-denial and acts of service and uh, that the Son of Man was sent uh, not to be served, but to serve. Uh, In fact, uh, next week, uh, we'll start looking at a new series exploring the cross of Christ in further depth, kind of as we head toward Easter uh, and we get to uh, actually considering the cross. So the season of Lent and of anticipation of that uh, we'll be looking uh, kind of week to week at the cross. So today I'd like to start with a question, with this question. Um, how do you become someone different than you are currently? How does anyone become different than they are? Uh, can people change, I guess, is uh, the, the core of that question. When we think about the ways of Jesus, all those things that I just talked about, uh, and we've studied over the several weeks, it may seem like a lot to take on. What, is it, what does it look like to abide and to pray and to Sabbath and rest and find community and then deny yourself and then, ha- and then start serving other people? That's a lot of stuff. In fact, um, in Matthew chapter 5, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts explaining all these things and what it looks like. Um, he kind of methodically explains what it looks like and what's required of someone to truly know and trust and follow Jesus. He says in, in the Beatitudes, um, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. All right, maybe I can handle that. Uh, blessed are those who mourn. There have been times when I could do that. Uh, merciful, not that often. Pure in heart, probably not. Uh, peacemakers, sometimes. What about um, murder? Um, it's like, okay, I don't murder. Good, I've got one. Uh, but then he says, uh, no, um, I can't read the words, but... Uh, anyone, yeah, who harbors anger in their heart is a murderer, right? Ooh, darn. Um, how about love for your enemies? Um, I, I don't do that very often. Adultery, okay, I can, I win that one, but no uh, uh, lustful look at someone ever in my life. Darn. Um, giving to the needy, sometimes I do that. Uh, worry, ooh, not so good this week. Um, judging others. Rarely, rarely good at that one. It's a high bar, right? We should probably stop because the bar seems insurmountably high. How could anyone ever be the kind of person that's described in these verses? How could we get to that point? How could we change 
um, and do that. But Jesus explains clearly that trusting him requires change, requires that this be the way we are. I'm going to close this now so I have space. The, the thing is, this isn't actually profound. Uh, that this is, That's a hard, hard thing. Uh, we actually recognize this. And so we, we see it, and often that results in something that looks like a works-based faith, a works-based uh, Christianity, if you will. Uh, we heap all sorts of unnecessary practices and rituals and habits on top of it, because we're trying to do what God says. We're trying to say, okay, this is what Jesus describes. I guess I need to do those things. And we, we, do the, we try to do them. And uh, we call this religion. And religion uh, will never get us to Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was trying to tell us, uh, that we can't do enough right things to earn our way into the good graces of God. He labels them all out so that we would recognize that we could never live up. And Jesus is actually saying, here's the high bar. Actually, it's even higher than you thought, but I've come to high jump right over it. And if you believe in me, I'll carry you with me. This is the good news that Jesus brings, right? So if we know this, we believe this, and we're made right and justified in the eyes of God, this is the gospel, right? This is why we get up and why we're here and we're excited about it. Um, but just as knowing God is not the same as, uh, knowing about God is not the same as knowing God, Thomas gave us that one a few weeks ago, so professing belief or trusting God is not the same as actually believing in God. Uh, there's a quote here from uh, Dallas Willard. It says, you know, true belief will put us into action and make contact with reality. Profession of belief is not belief. People act in terms of what they really believe, not in terms of what they profess to believe. In fact, we always live up to our real beliefs, uh, though we rarely live up to what we profess to believe. So if we believe, right, there must be something to it. James, one of the guys uh, listed in that list of names that was there, talks about uh, what faith and works results in, in, in his book that he uh, writes in the back of the Bible. These can't be separated. So again, if we have believed, how do we become the kind of people who don't just say we believe? Uh, and how do we live as though we do? How does God work out this sanctification? Uh, Bible word just means change toward, toward him, right? How do we work that out in our lives? Because the question is not if we change, but how we change. And the reality is that everyone changes. Uh, I dare say any of us uh, that are you know, a few years out of uni could look back and some of the people that we knew then, if they're the same people that they were uh, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, however long that's been, right? Everyone changes. 10 years, 20 years, life experiences, these, these things change us. We don't stay the same. So the change that will inevitably happen is either unintentional or intentional, right? And so we have two different things here. Uh, can I get that slide? Yep, there we go. Uh, so there's unintentional spiritual formation, right? That's here on the left for those who can see it. 
the environment around us begins to shape us. We find ourselves in relationships that we don't plan or whatever, and those relationships begin to change us. The habits that we form by accident and the stories that we believe begin to change us into something, right? Whether we plan it or not, whatever this happens over here is gonna change us over time. So the alternative to that is an intentional, an intentional spiritual formation, right? That the Holy Spirit begins to shape us and we have community around us that, that pulls us in together and that uh, we have purposeful practices that we follow on a regular basis and then we have teaching that we heed and understand and begin to be the kind of person that we actually intend to be, right? So this is this. It's the way of Jesus is intentional. He shows us here in the book of Mark, all those verses that we read, he calls us to follow, right? So we read at the top, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He looks at Simon and his brother Andrew, who cast a net into the lake because they were fishermen. He says, come follow me and I will make you fish for people. They drop their nets, they follow him. Goes a little farther, he sees James and John. Uh, they're preparing their nets because they're fishermen as well. He calls them and they leave their dad and they follow him and they leave the boat, right? And then they're doing again. He, he sees um, Levi called Matthew and he says, follow me. And Levi gets up and follows him. In fact, he called 12 uh, specifically. Uh, if you notice here in Mark 3, there's a whole lot of other people that are following as well. There's more than just 12 disciples. There's a bunch of disciples. There's just 12 that were kind of uh, separated out. And then in Mark 8, he says, uh, whoever wants to be my disciple. So follow me. So what does it mean to follow? We ever thought about this idea of following? Um, the word that they use often for follower or disciple or student, um, it can also be uh, translated as apprentice. The word apprentice comes from, uh, so I got nerdy on the etymology of apprentice, uh, but um, comes from apprent uh, in French, uh, right, which means to learn, which itself comes from this other word here, apprehender, or something in Latin. Uh, but the Latin word means literally to grasp or take hold of uh, mentally or physically, right? So he's probably thinking, thinking of the word apprehend, which is an interesting one. We can talk more about how that got there. But uh, what you have here is uh, apprehend. Can you go to the next one? Yes, apprehend. So this, this part, ah, or ad, is uh, kind of to or toward, and then uh, pre, obviously before, and then this hand uh, or hand, right, for like the idea of like seizing or grasping. So, so follow this for it. So we get is a moving toward the beginning of a mental grasp or understanding, right? That's an apprenticeship, right? This, the, a desire or intention to gain a full grasp of, un, of understanding on something. So if you're an apprentice, the goal is, or the, the implication is that you don't know anything currently, but at the end of some journey, you will then know and you'll have this understanding. So maybe uh, this idea of apprentice, maybe this one looks more like what you're thinking. 
uh, in the late Middle Ages, early modern history, you know, this is like 1400 to 1850, somewhere in there, this uh, idea of apprentice, the model of apprentice comes up. Generally, boys, uh, also girls, but boys like 10 years old up to 18 would be called to be an apprentice. Sometimes uh, their parents would pay someone to take you uh, and, you know, then you'd go be, uh, would normally last till you're about 21. It was a legal agreement, effectively, and you were an indentured servant for a period of time. Um, and the master would provide food and lodging and care for you during the duration of this thing. So um, the goal then is to learn the trade uh, that you're learning. In this case, uh, he's a cobbler, right? So he's learning uh, to make shoes or fix shoes. And um, so the goal there is in, to learn. You can set up a trade for yourself uh, or take over for the master trademan uh, when, when he would retire or something, right? So the apprentice starts out, and he's, so this is how it would work. So he'd start out, he would just come in and he would observe the, uh, the master, right? He would look at him, he would, he would start to follow his schedule. So he would get up when the master gets up. He would follow him down to the room to, to get started, right? He would see the work that he would be doing. He would look at the tools that the master would use. He would see the finished work um, and, and observe it and see, okay, this is how it's made. I see this now. Uh, and he would, uh, he would see how you, the master would speak to the customer and understand those interactions and uh, how, the, how the whole process of the business worked, right? For years, potentially, all the apprentice would do would be like watching the master, following him around, and like maybe going and grabbing stuff so that uh, the master could like save some steps and not have to carry heavy things or something, right? So then only after this sufficient time of observing, the apprentice would get his own set of tools uh, and then start to do some of the simpler tasks, right? So then the apprentice would watch and try to copy what the master was doing. He's like, okay, you're doing that. I'm going to do this. How, he's standing like this. Okay, feet this way. How he holds the tool in his hand, he would watch and, and copy that. He would, uh, you know, if the, the master would like brace his arm this way to get the right kind of leverage, he would, he would follow all these things, right? And try to copy to look like the master. And the goal is to imitate and then eventually look like this master. So then after months or years of training and practice on all these little things, the apprentice would then give his own, be given his own jobs. And so he would do it from start to finish, but the master is still there kind of overseeing, watching, uh, giving, a, giving advice. And so the apprentice is doing everything the master would do, and he's become like a little, a little copy, a little mini mini guy that, that's now doing the things that, that the master had done. And at the end, he would be released to either set up his own shop or the master would get old and die and he would take over that shop uh, seamlessly, some sort of like medieval succession planning, right? Um, that this would be the way it goes. So in the same way, we look at the Bible and what, what uh, this idea of following uh, Jesus as a rabbi, right? To be a disciple of a rabbi in ancient Israel would be to train under the rabbi's teaching. And Jesus isn't the only rabbi that had disciples, right? Other rabbis within the Jewish tradition would bring their disciples up. So there was like primary school level of, of teaching and you would, uh, you know, you'd go learn basic things, understand various things, but then you would get past primary school. You'd go to like high school or, or secondary of some sort, and you would learn like to memorize the Torah, 
right? So the first five books of our Old Testament, you'd memorize the whole thing in, in high school. That was like your learning. Uh, and then the best of the best of those might be invited to be a rabbi's apprentice or disciple. And so then they get the extra opportunity to then like follow in the footsteps and learn and be taught and then uh, eventually be a rabbi themselves, which is the goal. So it's like the top of the top. This is, you know, Jewish culture is, um, it was um, like religio-centric. So being a, in, in the top of the church in that sense, in the, in the, in the synagogue, was the top of the uh, social hierarchy. So the best of the best, the smartest, the brightest, they were becoming the rabbis, right? So that's where you were trying to become. So this was top, top, top. You know, this is Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, etc. And so the disciple then would follow the rabbi around, gleaning little bits of his teaching, observing everything he would do, just like the, the medieval apprentice that we were talking about earlier. He would copy the mannerisms and the style of teaching that his rabbi was, was doing. He was learning this as he would go. And he would become kind of a little bit younger copy of the rabbi that he was learning from. And then he would start to teach and then do the things that the rabbi would do. And he would then go out on his own and have his own disciples, ideally, right? And so just like the apprentice in the medieval story of the cobbler, the, the young rabbis have their apprentices that are learning the way of things, right? So when Jesus comes to Peter and Andrew and James and John and the other disciples, and he says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men, he's calling them to a, a thing that they already understand. Like there's this concept that exists, and this is a, is a high calling to then be uh, a disciple of one of these rabbis. So it's, a, it's not like, you know, we were making the, we were talking about this at our, um, uh, community group this week that, you know, come, come be a fisher of men isn't like a bad joke that Jesus makes. Like this was like an idiom in uh, the Hebrew world. It was like for teaching, right? You become a teacher uh, and because they knew fishing and they understood that. So this was like, hey, you can be a fisher of men because you can teach people like I do. And so this was like, guys, you can be at the top of the top. You're coming with me. You're going to be um, one of my disciples, and I will teach you everything I know so that you can do what, what I do, right? And so this is, this is big. So Peter, Andrew, James, John, they're, they're excited to drop their things and follow Jesus. And the idea of what they come into is exactly what uh, this little guy and the other disciples do. They want to be with Jesus, they want to become like Jesus, and then they want to do what Jesus does. This is the path of apprenticeship, of following Jesus. And this is what we are called to today as well. So let's talk about this. Being with Jesus, what does that look like? In our world today, what does it look like to be with Jesus, right? And so we talked about this a little bit, but the first step of being with Jesus is to abide, right? So we're reminding ourselves back uh, a few weeks ago of what that looks like, abide in the vine. John 15, 4 says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me, right? So we have to be with Jesus. We have to be silent. We have to sit. We have to listen to what Jesus says. We have to like spend time with him in order to be with Jesus, right? To become like him. You have to observe. You have to look at what he does. Mark 3, 14 says he appointed 12 that they might be with him to see what he does. They're following him around everywhere, 
right? They're seeing how he interacts with people, how he, how he gently responds when uh, the woman with the bleeding comes and, and touches his garment, right? They're, they're seeing how he responds to the Pharisees and, and, and calls them to the carpet, but doesn't, you know, embarrass anyone or, you know, sometimes. Um, but they're observing, they're following and they're observing. Uh, for us, right, that we're, we're reading the stories, we're looking at what Jesus has done. We have it all in front of us. We don't actually have to wait, you know, for another week until he does something else. We get to keep reading in the book. It's all there. So we observe and then we absorb, right? Uh, Colossians 3.16 says, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Psalm covers all of this like over and over. I've just grabbed a few. Uh, Psalm 37, Psalm 40, Psalm 119, they each talk about this idea that the law has been hidden in my heart, right? How would, you, how would you describe something like the law being hidden in your heart? It's so deep. It's so ingrained in who you are that you've absorbed it into your character, right? So you, this moment of being with Jesus that requires us to, to sit to abide, to observe, to absorb. And so there's some practices that go along with that, namely silence, solitude, having time to be quiet. This is one I rarely get, to sit in silence, to consider God, to think, to pray, to, to not be distracted by other things. In our world, that's such a difficult thing to do, and yet so valuable to stop and and just let it happen. The um, ah, Sabbath, which we talked about the other day, right? To rest, to take time away from the other things, to, to admit that we don't have control of everything and so we can actually stop and not be uh, you know, on all the time. To have Sabbath, to pray, to fast, to, to read your scripture, to study it, to meditate on it. Right? These are all ways of being with our teacher, to, to be with him, right? And so this is what Jesus is calling them to, and he's what, what he calls us to, is to be with Jesus, to be with him. Um, then you become like him. So as we, become, as we be with Jesus, we start to become like Jesus, right? And so we start to think like him. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will, right? As you've, have you been with Jesus, you've considered, you've, you've read, you've been silent, you start to think differently. The way you think is now a little different and you start to think like Jesus might think. You start to feel differently. We begin to be burdened by sin in our own lives and we we are burdened by sin in the world and how that affects the world around us. We start to hate injustice and the things that Jesus hates. We start to um, be heartbroken at needless divisions among peoples and within our churches. Like we start to feel the things that Jesus feels and, and, and we start to understand where he's coming from. And then as we stay there, we, we can't, we, our desires change, right? Psalm 37, four says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, if you're delighting in the Lord, what's the desire of your heart? It's the Lord, right? So he changes what you want, and you start to want what, you, what he wants. And as we become like Jesus, we, we find our thoughts transformed, we find our desires rebuilt, and we find our love to be overflowing. As we become like Jesus, being in biblical community, 
becomes one of the sweetest joys we have and not a burden or a distraction or a thing we have to do on the weekend or on Wednesday night or whenever we do it. It's, it's something we look forward to and we, we find being together is easier uh, and that all of a sudden we can bear with one another and see people's flaws and, and bear with them even as we remain imperfect people because Jesus has changed us. He started to uh, make us into different people. We start to become like him, right? As we become like Jesus, we should find that our lives are marked by things that describe him more than the things that used to describe us, uh, that we would be more loving, we would be more joyful, peaceful, patient, forgiving, kind, generous, faith-filled, gentle, controlled. Do you sound familiar, right? Like, this is what we become as we follow Jesus, Right, so it's it's a it's not a task list of things to do. It's if I've been with Jesus, He starts to change my desires. He starts to change my wants. He starts to change where I think, and the outpouring of that is I start to be more loving, and I start to be kind, and I start to do these other things. As we become like Jesus, we notice that the things of the world and the things we used to want and our former desires in our hearts are overtaken by new. Godly desires, right? Now, this is, this right here is the answer to our stubborn sin, right? The sin that we can't seem to shake and get rid of um, as much as we know we need to. The trick here isn't trying harder or some 10-step program uh, and focusing more on the sin. It's actually focusing more on Christ and being with him so that we become more like him and our minds are transformed to be like his. And all of a sudden that stuff isn't important and we think about other things. The end goal then is to take on the inner life of Jesus so that the teaching, teaching, the teachings of Jesus become second nature. It just, we don't even think about it anymore, right? If we've been with him this much, the, the shoemaking kid, Right At first, it's hard work to, to figure out how do I put the shoe on right and put the heel in here and do all these things. And he's watching and he's, and he's having to fix the problems and going back and forth. But as he does it more and more, as he sits with the master more and more, all of a sudden, the making of the shoe becomes second nature. And instead of having to force it in, his arm just moves the right way. Right? Instead of having to think of what the next step is, he intuitively knows what the next step is. And this is what it's like. So after we've been with Jesus, and now we're becoming more like Jesus, uh, we begin to do what Jesus does, right? So just like the apprentice, we start to now take on and do the things. So Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. John 14, 12. So what did Jesus do? We see Jesus loving people who seem unlovable. He's eating and drinking in the house of sinners and tax collectors and things like that. You notice Jesus is always eating and drinking with people? It doesn't sound that bad. We can go do that. Uh, we start to serve. Because it says, even, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Right? He's praying for others. He's making peace. He's doing justice in the world. He's fixing the problems. And then he's declaring... Uh, the good news of the gospel, right? So he's preaching the gospel. He's teaching the way. He's prophesying and standing up to religious and political corruption. And he's declaring the way of Jesus to the world, 
right? This is what Jesus does. He loves, he serves, and he's declaring the truth. And this is the call for all of us. And it's not just for the best of the best, because we look back at Mark 8, and it says, whoever would be my disciple. Whoever. That's not inclusive. It's not inconclusive. It is inclusive. That's what I want to say, right? Whoever wants to be my disciple. But then we read on, it isn't without cost. What does it cost us? It says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus, lose your life for the gospel, but save your life for eternity. If you deny yourself, you refuse to give yourself what your flesh wants, and instead you follow Jesus, right? Denying yourself of the thing that you used to want. And it's like, you know what? I'm, I don't want that anymore. Um, being an apprentice can't be an add-on. It has to be your main identity, right? If you were to be a cobbler, you couldn't be like, oh, I'm going to dabble in a few other things. I think I'm going to do this. No, you were, you were an indentured servant to the, to the master that you've been given to. Um, you have to be all in. It's why Jesus' followers are all called disciples. They were, there are all sorts of professions that were represented there, right? We have fishermen, we have tax collectors, we have a zealot. I don't know if that's a profession, but, you know, whatever. Uh, an assassin, I guess. Um, uh, so you have to lose that identity, that previous life identity, to take on the primary identity of a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean you stop doing those other things fully, necessarily, it just means that the primary identifier is now that you are an apprentice of Jesus. So you might say, I'm an apprentice of Jesus and also a lawyer. You might say, I'm an apprentice of Jesus, but I'm also a teacher. I'm an apprentice of Jesus, but I'm also a business person. And I'm an apprentice of Jesus and also a pastor, right? The, the first thing is that you're following Jesus. It doesn't matter what else you do. If we see ourselves this way, it changes the way we make decisions, it changes the motivations for our actions, and it changes the order of our priorities. And I won't avoid this. It says taking up your cross, it's an explicit call to die. There's no other way to understand cross in that verse. It was an instrument of um, torture and death and execution. It's not like a, a double entendre that we're you know, waiting to understand like, we've created that in our, in our world in modern day. We like, oh, cross, it's a burden, something I have to bear. It's this cross I have to bear. And when he says this, it's literally the only way to understand it is that someone is taking that to their death. Um, and so it's an explicit call. But for us, you know, to die to our previous hopes, die to our previous dreams, die to what the world says is important, because the thing that's most important and only important is following Jesus. But he doesn't leave it there. There is a reward in, in verse 35 in Mark. He says, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You know, the reward of being with Jesus is being with Jesus. <laughs> the truth is, if you've, if you've truly been with him and you've spent time with him and you abide in him and you observe him and you uh, absorb him into your heart, you find that you start to think like him and you feel the things that he feels and you desire the things that he desires. And all of a sudden it means that the cost of what you've given up doesn't seem all that costly. You no longer find those things as attractive or beneficial because you've been changed. The picture of who you are in your mind and in the world is, is now totally different than it was before. 
This is what it, this is what it means to follow Jesus. It's to step out of the, the identity of I'm a fisherman and I do this thing. And you lay that down and you go over here and you say, I'm an apprentice of Jesus. And I've, I've laid that aside to go do this. This quote from John Piper. It's in, in this book called Risk is Right, but it says, if you live gladly to make others glad in God, that's a, that's a good description of what means to follow Jesus, right? So if you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, your risks will be high, and your joy will be full. And this is what it looks like. Yeah, we have risks. Things will be hard. Jesus never promises that that life will be easy when you follow him. But he does say there will be joy. He does say he'll be with there with you, right there with you. So let me close with these thoughts. Three things. One, let's be intentional. Right? Are we gonna are we gonna let our environment and the circumstances and the pressures of the world and the the ways that the people around us are thinking and doing, are we going to let that change us into what we're going to be? Is that who we want to be, right? Are we going to claim apprenticeship to Jesus, be intentional, and aim at something, right? Are we going to let him complete us into the person he wants us to be by following him and being his apprentice and being with him and becoming like him and then doing what he does? Two, let's, let's make time to be with Jesus. So being with Jesus is, is the first and primary task, right? If we aren't spending time with him, then we'll never become like him. We won't know him. We won't do it, right? The, the, the one piece of this that we have some control over is that we have to go spend time with him, right? We can't make ourselves like him, nor can we just start doing things. We can try, may not work that well, but we can just be with him and let the other things work out. This is the promise that Jesus gives us. He says, my yoke is easy. Be with me, right? I'm just going to repeat stuff that we said in other, other uh, sermons because those are the, that's where the good points are. So make time to be with Jesus. And number three, let's embrace the process because it's not a quick fix. An apprenticeship, we read, you know, it's going to be 10, 12, 15 years. You don't make the change overnight. You know, as much as we are changed immediately when we believe in Jesus, the process of being a different person takes time. And we don't like it that way. We don't want it to be that way. In fact, we want things to be quick and easy and painless. And often, our sin is a result of trying to take a shortcut. How often do we find that that is the reason that we end up going sideways, right? You can look look all the way to the garden. You've got Adam and Eve standing there. Everything is at their doorstep. God has given them everything. There's one tree that says the knowledge of good and evil. Hint, God has actually promised to give them that over time, but they want the short way. I said, man, if I eat this now, I'll already know that stuff. And then it comes, comes again. How many times has your desire to take the shortcut been the thing that drag you down. Instead of taking it the, the way you know is right, you're like, mm, I'm going to just go this way. This one's quicker. This one's easier. But it's not. <laughs> That's where the pain is. Um, 
you know, the, the beauty of apprenticeship is that it's slow. It's designed to be this way. If you set out to run a marathon and you haven't ever run before and you say, tomorrow I'm going to run a marathon, how far would you get? Probably not very far. You don't set out for the 26.2 miles, the 40 plus kilometers that would, that would kill most of us without proper training. You take time and you discipline yourself and you practice and you train. You probably go out for one mile on the first day. So let's start today with just one mile. Let's abide. Let's slow down. Let's be with Jesus. Let's pray.